Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey everybody, James Shepard here. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to the Merchant Sales Podcast. I know that you're going to get a lot of value from today's episode. We kick things off with an interview that Patty lined up with an ISV, a technology company that's processor agnostic, that's providing amazing contactless payment and just many, many other types of technology for merchants. And so it's a really interesting interview. Uh, Then we shift gears over to uh, an insider's report that Patty put some really interesting data together about e-commerce during this crazy time and what those numbers are looking like in the e-commerce world, which is, of course, a little bit of a brighter picture than uh, physical location. And then I finish things up with questions from the field and questions I've been getting a lot of is about agreements. Uh, you know, are you with the right processing company, understanding compensation? These are things a lot of agents are kind of taking a step back and looking at. And so I cover some key tips and topics along those lines. So let's go ahead and dive into this really interesting interview. I know you're going to enjoy it. And again, thank you again so much for taking the time to listen to our episodes every week. I really appreciate it. And I wish you great success. Okay. Well, everybody, welcome to the podcast. Today, we're here with Chris Cronenthal, President and Chief Technology Officer at Freedom Pay. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? Fantastic. Appreciate uh, the discussion today. Looking forward to it. Oh, well, we appreciate it as well. Um, You know, we usually like to start off these interviews with, uh, you know, getting to know you kind of uh, thing. Um, Was wondering if you could just give us a quick rundown on your professional background, what brought you to merchant services generally and to Freedom Pay in particular? Yeah, yeah, happy to, to go through that. So, uh, you know, m- myself specifically, I've been with Freedom Pay for, uh, gosh, a little a little over 11 years now. It, it feels okay. like a day, or at least that's what I tell myself. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I think maybe uh, unexpectedly, uh, I was not, I was not expecting to go into payments uh, before. Very uh, few of us pay, I was. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I sort of came from the uh, the biosciences, bioinformatics world, uh, working oh, wow. largely on, yeah, patient data studies and genetic and genomic research, and uh, through I'll say a long confluence of events, ended up not being in that industry anymore, but found that that the sales space, you know, was, was sorry, the, the, certainly the merchant services space was very analogous as it relates to uh, uh, consumer data, uh, certainly payment information, treating that with a level of security, just like you would uh, patient data and, and found it to be a, a really exciting and challenging environment. Well, that's really cool. Uh, but that, that I have to admit, we, um, James and I have interviewed a lot of people. Most of them have very, unique backgrounds that are not payments related, but I yeah. think this is the first we've uh, interviewed somebody who was in the biosciences first. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think so. And <laughs> you know, yeah, we, there, there's definitely not a lot of people that when they're like, you know, seven years old, you know, when I grow up, I'm going to be in the payment space. <laughs> yeah. I don't know anybody that is, but, <laughs> so, <laughs> but right. Right. It's definitely that space where you, you sort of assume it's simplicity because it's a payment and everybody does it. And right. then as you uh, uh, peel back the layer of the onions, you, you sort of have that, oh, my God moment. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. In fact, I find myself a lot of times, you know, my friends would be like, you're in payments. What's that about? I'm like, it's the it's the grease that, that keeps the wheels of commerce going. Uh, right. You know, people forget just how important it is. But 
Well, you know, and we and, and, and that kind of comes up to, you know, what I wanted to speak with you about today, you know, and we've been talking a lot over on the podcast these last several weeks about, you know, concerns about uh, diseases like COVID-19, you know, have sparked a lot of interest uh, among consumers and merchants in contactless payments. And, you know, I wanted to just start off getting a sense from you. Is that something that you're seeing? And if so, you know, is it is it a trend that's more prevalent in any particular vertical? It would, it would, you know, it's absolutely. We're we're seeing it. We're experiencing it. Freedom Pay is very large in the food service, travel and services, lodging, kind of general hospitality, hospitality gaming sector. So mm-hmm. beyond a shadow of a doubt, it, it, it it's a major part of our day to day. And I think what you know what the merchants will tell you is that it's really forced them to think through their whole consumer engagement experience, right? Everybody right. sort of takes the, let's provide my goods and services over here and I'll put a register over there. And that's the way just business works. Right. And right. It's, it's been just such a, a tremendous eye-opening for these operators, almost forcibly so, to envision how do I change consumer flow? How do I can change interaction? How do I, you know, obviously under the auspices of a, of a covid mentality, but it's it's really forced them to think about consumer experience in a whole different light. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, and and it's it seems to be the type of thing that's going to continue on. You know, I know James and I have talked about this and on a lot of our podcasts, it's sort of like, especially with something like contactless, you know, it um, it hasn't taken off that fast in the U.S., mostly because people aren't used to it. But as they become more used to it, then it becomes ingrained in their consciousness and, you know, becomes part of their daily routine. Um, But, you know, I was intrigued when I talked with some folks at Freedom Pay recently about the company's new touchless commerce uh, program. And, you know, I thought it was a really catchy phrase, but, you know, I obviously it seems to me that that kind of plays into this contactless stuff, but it is probably more than payments. So would you mind taking some time and describing for us what touchless commerce is all about? Yeah, yeah, would love to. And, and certainly wholeheartedly agree with your perspective of contactless was slow to start and, and COVID will be a, a, an ignition point, if you will, of mm-hmm. certainly, you know, pretty significant adoption of that. But to your point and the question, we, we have a philosophy that, that it, it could and should go even further, right? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, touchless commerce is, is really about having a, a sort of beyond the contact, contactless experience. So the reason why we called it a program is because to your point, it's not necessarily just about the payment. It's about menuing. It's about uh, consumer management, you know, drive through having touchless experiences in a drive-through is a different use case than uh, how do I support my kiosk flow that I just put in in a in touchless uh, manner. So when we mm-hmm. think about our, our touchless commerce program, it's not necessarily saying, oh, we do contactless or, or QR codes. It's really us working with a constituency of really fantastic partners that have all certified solutions to a single platform, which is ours, that we mm-hmm. can then bring as a portfolio of products and solutions to merchants so that they can really have a, a, a turnkey program that says, 
oh, well, my business operates bar service, uh, table service, and back office pickup and delivery. Great. I have a suite of products that are each best in their class that use a common payments framework that will allow me to digitize my menu, have a consumer order ahead and pick up, be it a bar and scan a QR code or pay with a QR code. So it's, it, it isn't any single facet. It's really, that's why we called it a program versus a product or an initiative. It's really you know, validating that the partners in our ecosystem have certified in a way that provides great interchange rates and can tap into fraud services and provides for their piece of the business a truly touchless experience for that consumer. It's uh, it's interesting because I remember, you know, and I, I've seen a couple commercials lately, especially for QSRs, right? It's, uh, you know, you know, come come to... I can't remember, uh, Burger King maybe was one of them, um, you know, have a totally contactless experience. And so it sounds to me that that's kind of what you're talking about here. It's not just going to the window and, and flashing your, your, your mobile device at the, at the payment terminal, but it's being able to also maybe look at the menu before you even drive up to that, that, um, window and, and place your order using your, mobile device or your laptop or whatever am i set am i stating that correctly absolutely it's it's really that that springboard to what i think everybody generally feels like the next generation was going to be anyway and and so how do we react to that knowing that for forces beyond anyone's control that's here right now because people don't want to touch stuff <laughs> right right so how do you see this sort of playing out in the in you know in terms of a future scenario is this something you know i mean it kind of goes to what we spoke to a moment or two ago but maybe if you could elaborate on how this might um you know play out in the market post covid yeah there'll there'll be you know it's probably a couple a couple avenues to explore that answer one would be I, I think it's easy to get a little too carried away with how quick the world will change. You know, if you were to ask people sure. uh, 10 years ago, if they thought right now we'd still be paying with checks, they'd have told you you're crazy. But yet right. checks are still, what, 3 to 5% of gross dollar volume, right? right. At so, least. Uh, uh, yeah, at least. So I don't think it's to say that that we will immediately go to a full touchless ecosystem. Right. But but we would also say there is no doubt about it that this will be a lasting impact. And while there's going to be a certain demographic of folks that will want to still have the physicality of a card or pay with cash or pay with a check, mm -hmm. what, what you are seeing are, are a, a very quick consumer mental shape of, okay, maybe it's not too crazy to download a quick app or scan a QR code to make a payment. And, and it's unlikely that those trends are going to yield. So kind of the second avenue as an artifact of that, where we think it goes very quickly is, you know, there's sort of a natural evolution there where once I've got a consumer that's now because of a global pandemic, more willing to download an application for the purposes of ordering stuff, well, that's a that's a real fast linchpin to loyalty and consumer mm -hmm. engagement. Right. So, so done properly, this could be a real spotlight event for for bringing payments into the center stage of identity and loyalty, which is really where it should have been all along because of the di the bigger data 
uh, play that sits all around our, our industry. Right, right. So, so what are the technology requirements around touchless commerce? I mean, in terms of the hardware, software, processor support, how does that, how does that, um, you know, how do you integrate this in with, with the uh, current scenario? Sure. There, there's a couple underlying principles of minimally how we view the world as a, as a, as a facilitator, if you will, not uh -huh. to be confused with the payback, not that, but. You know, right. from our perspective, having lots of acquiring options is always something that's ingrained in our DNA. So I don't think I don't think that that changes, right? If I start with the back end of the discussion, mm -hmm. on the front end side, it does get somewhat industry and segment specific. But minimally, it's you know a reader that can that can support. Let's just start with a contactless payment, and it's right. also got to have you know, that inherently says, well, I can support. Apple Pay and, and Google Smart Path and Samsung Pay, but then take that a step further. And it's, and it's a reader that also has a QR code scanner with it or a barcode scanner that you can now access for payments. Mm -hmm. It's probably some type of stand, either digital or not, that also can show a QR code for folks that want to scan that. And there's a lot of things, you know, I'll, I'll throw out uh, QuickServe as a free reference where they've sure. got a QR code implementation of you scan this QR code, it's automatically tied into the back of house and you pull up the check and you pay for it. So there's those elements. We've also introduced some relatively new stuff um, with some partners on the distribution side. So we've introduced uh, 3M plastic overlays so that you can have a proper form-fitting uh, plastic overlay on your kind of existing payment terminal, which allows you to clean it much okay. more frequently and rigorously without damaging it. Mm -hmm. uh, we've also started offering up UV light guards, which have certain sensors built into them that quickly turn on and off so they don't provide UV light to your body. But as soon as you move your hand away, they re-sanitize the screen. So those are examples of how we tie all this together into a, a touchless sort of pandemic-safe program. Uh -huh. And then you have things completely different to that, right, which might be a digital menu. It's going to be pay a table with contactless experiences. It'll be uh, providing an ability for somebody going through a drive-through to scan a QR code and find and pick their order and pay for it really quick. So it's, 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 it's a lot of different touch points that come together into this program, and that's why we're so excited to, to work with our partners and bring all that together. Hey, Chris, if I could jump in, I just had a question. I was thinking about, you know, you just mentioned restaurants. And so, you know, who knows when, you know, dine-in will be largely open again in the U.S. market here. But, you know, when that happens, I really hadn't thought about that before because, you know, obviously, you know, U.S. Uh, uh, restaurants generally don't have pay at the table. Do you see right. that as an additional opportunity that, be, you know, in order to facilitate contactless, do you see the, you know, the kiosk or Zosks or whatever and the um, and the or and or pay at table, you know, mobile solutions? Do you see that as another opportunity coming out of this to help them open back up safely? Yes and no, because if I if I interpret you literally, you threw in two different use cases, right? Pay at table, which is slightly different than, for example, a Zosk, which I think is your example, which right. is more of a tabletop device. I think, unfortunately, and I certainly have nothing bad to say about the Zosk folks, uh, but that's going to receive a lot of pressure, having a, a device you that put everybody on touches. a table. Right. Right. Whose point it is, is to be touched a lot. I, so I guess my be a little complicated. Yeah, I guess, <laughs> I guess my larger I think, point there, I was thinking of it more in, in a general sense, but in other words, like a device – 
at yeah, I guess you're right. I was thinking of advice yeah, at the table that you could table, do touchless, like but salt and pepper shaker, yeah, everybody's right? going to touch it. Yeah, that's a really good point. But yeah, yeah. Do you, what do you think about the other side of it though? The just you know having a mobile device that the the server can bring out for for contactless. We're seeing we're seeing that as the predominant request. Yeah. Is, is, okay. is, uh, either a BYOD to bring your own device where the mm -hmm. consumer can access their table through a QR code and pay that way, mm -hmm. or right. a pay a table device which supports QR code scanning and contactless. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, James, do you have any other questions? Uh, you know, no, I think it's just so interesting. I, I'm so bullish on all this stuff, you know, Chris. I just think it's so interesting. You know, Patty and I were talking on the last episode about. Um, you know, in our industry, it just seems like, you know, you have to stay so far ahead of all the changes because things just happen. And it's like, you know, that's your opportunity is that is that little that little avenue, that little crack, you know, that you can get into of, hey, here's this thing that we're offering that's different. And so, you know, I'm just I'm just really, I guess, curious, like one of the things I was thinking about was on the ISV side. I mean, do you see a big challenge here where. Are, are the ISVs going to move quickly enough to integrate with companies like yours and, and to be able to actually be able to offer these things? Like, all, you know, all the, you know, we already had the, the big EMV shift. Now it's contactless. Do you see any other barriers to actually bringing all of these amazing technologies to market? Or do you feel like we're already past that? And it's like with companies like yours, there, there's enough already happening where this stuff is just going to be available and it's going to be cost effective to the point that, you know, small businesses will actually implement it. Or do you see other barriers to kind of really getting this out into the market quickly once things are open back up? Well, there's the really selfish answer that says that we're an early, really, a uh, really early <laughs> mover, and and therefore, yes, we're ready to go, but we still right. have to distinct advantage. Sure. Uh, that's that's sort of the team pride answer, right? Right. Um, sure. Uh, from an ISV perspective, there are companies that are keeping up with this, and I would say every company, certainly the smaller ones, hope for their their spotlight moment, right? Where They've right. maybe been issuing a, a particular technical strategy or or whatever, and boom, that spotlight moment happens, and they get their 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 day in the sun. And I think all the BYD BYOD companies that have been playing with this idea of bring your own device and scan a QR code that were getting traction, but it wasn't necessarily catching on. Right. You know, great great time for those folks, and and they yeah. are ready. And whether or not they can handle it operationally and infrastructure-wise, the jury's still out. But there are solutions there. I would also comment, you know, maybe specifically to, to this audience from the ISO side, this is your moment as well. Because all of these, all of these restaurateurs, all of these retail shops, all of these folks that are in the segment that will go with, you know, an ISO type of sales proposition, they need leadership right now. And it's not going to come from, from the big folks because right. they've got to deal with all of their enterprise customers that have big technical strategies that were likely disrupted, and they're frantically trying to stay relevant. So right. the world's kind of the oyster for the ISO segment because you, you know, it's the benefit of that hyper-local touch where an educated ISO sales uh, person can really be an advocate for the business right now. And they can learn, to your point, which ISVs are keeping up? How are they keeping up? What are the benefits? Are they ready to go? And, and, and really bring actual value right now to help these providers know what to do and why to do it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah, and, how, and, and like you said, how to, how to reopen, how to reimagine their businesses, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So, so Chris, maybe this is a good time where you could give us a little more info because I, I actually looked up Freedom Pay uh, before the interview because I, I actually didn't know as much about you guys, and it looks really interesting stuff. Can you talk a little bit about how do you work with ISOs and and even merchant level salespeople? What's what is what does that relationship actually look like? What do you do for the industry? Sure, we we go to market as the Freedom Pay Commerce platform, and and we sell as a proposition of our job is to enable the ecosystem. So whether or not you're an ISV or you're a point of sale manufacturer or an acquirer or ISO or MLS, our job is to enable you. And so what we've done for ISOs and and agents is really create a program for them where they can engage us and say, I want to bring a, a merchant to you. And so we'll obviously do some validation and, and, and quality assurance checks, but typically we will form a reseller relationship uh, or revenue sharing relationship with that partner and they can join our program and bring those merchants to us. And then we take care of everything. So we do the installation, we do the setup. They provide us with the information of whoever they're acquiring on, you know, from a mid perspective. And we really provide them a, a full turnkey technology company to help you satisfy for those merchants and and keep them in your portfolio so we 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 do work really warmly with the isos and also then give them flexibility to manage their portfolio across a couple different acquirers well that's what i was just about to ask so that's really interesting because i i was i was trying to figure out for sure so so you guys are basically for all intents and purposes, processor agnostic, you're not actually doing the credit card processing. You're you're just purely the technology piece. That's you know, if I'm an if I'm an ISO and I've got a hundred sales reps and I have I sell with you know three different acquiring banks, I could leverage your technology and and maybe use multiple acquirers. Is that what you're saying? So so generally speaking, Freedom Pay, uh, not even generally speaking, uh, Freedom Pay is agnostic in the industry. So we're okay. we're not an acquirer. We're not an ISO. Our job is to provide the technology enablement that all of those partners need to work with successfully. So yeah. whether or not you're a point of sale, you're an acquirer, you're a terminal manufacturer, you're an ISO, our job is to be that technology partner and, and even further operational partner that brings everything you need together to enable that merchant to accept payment. So we really look forward to enabling and, and working with ISOs in the ecosystem. Well, I mean, that to me, like that just really opens up a whole kind of world of possibility there. I, I think that's yeah. I think that's great because I think for you guys, I feel like there's a lot of ISOs that are listening in right now who are trying to grapple with this whole contactless and what you guys call touchless and this whole, you know, what does this mean? What does this look like? How do we sell it? So, um, wow, I, I think there's a lot of companies out there that are going to be super interested in this. Um, you know, Chris, if you wouldn't mind sharing, you know, if, if you have like an ISO or even an individual agent that wants to learn more about potentially partnering with um, Freedom Pay, where would you send them to learn more about that opportunity? I think our website is a is a great place to start. It it has a lot of you know different examples and use cases they can learn more about. Uh, we do have a great uh, kind of sales uh, support infrastructure because we are uh, 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 an enabler of sorts. Our primary focus is making our partners successful. So anyone can reach out at sales at freedompay.com and we'll quickly get you into the right funnel of sales enablement collateral. Uh, any type of partnership agreement we want to put in place to, to drive additional revenues for our partners. 
I think that being our core business is enabling others really creates a great framework for for ISOs and others to engage us. Yeah, I think I think you have a you have a really cool niche there. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I'm glad Patty set this interview up because you know, of course, we've been talking so much about contactless. The, as, as Patty mentioned, the last few weeks, and I really feel like one of the missing pieces in all this is in my consulting practice, I talk to ISOs all the time. And, you know, yeah, of course, there's kind of the vanilla contactless, you know, solutions out there. But, you know, what you guys are doing, and then, of course, obviously, well beyond that with all the other technology you have. I mean, the fact that your processor agnostic is uh, is really a, a unique niche. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's 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 awesome. Um, so, man, Chris, thank you so much. That was uh, some great information. I know I learned some things along the way, and that was awesome. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Okay, folks. Well, you know, e-commerce has been the bright spot in the otherwise dismal sales data during the coronavirus pandemic. But there are some some uh, clouds on the horizon. Um, 451 Research retail, uh, reports that retailers that lack a strong online presence are going to be the ones hardest hit when the dust settles on the pandemic. Uh, this company, uh, they interviewed about 250 merchants of various sizes beginning in mid-March through early April. And they found that organizations that derive 50% or more of revenues from online sales are faring better amid the pandemic than those that are focused more on in-store sales. Not a big surprise there. Right. But, uh, you know, and, but what they're saying is, you know, uh, merchants that don't have a significant online presence or perhaps even lack an online presence at all, you know, had to make a very short and fast pivot as a result of the uh, pandemic. And, um, you know, to, to be online centric, you know, to have 50% or more of your sales occurring online, you know, you're going to be in a better position to accommodating increased traffic um, going forward. For sure. Okay. And another interesting aside from the, this is another interesting aside from that research was that and this goes back to a couple of the um, recent podcast interviews we've had. Better than three in um, three in ten merchants, thirty-five percent, indicated that flexible payment options such as installments hmm. um, are of high importance to the customer loyalty game. Sure. You know, sure. and and I know we've talked to that. We've interviewed a few people. Um, you know, on this. Uh, but I think that we're going to see more and more of these flexible payment options cropping up at the point of sale, particularly for, you know, large dollar purchases like furniture, computers, um, you know, even medical bills. I mean, uh, I one of the I have, you know, pets. And one of the things I love is the fact that my vet will give me an online pay, you know, give me a. Uh, you know, pay us in six months, it's the same as cash kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Well, you know what's uh, funny about that, actually? I just jogged my memory. You talk about the pet thing. We uh, we took, it's funny, actually, we took our dog in uh, uh, to the vet maybe 
I don't know, two years ago. And uh -huh. um, they said, well, you know, you can pay for this procedure. And it was like, I don't know, $700 or something like that. And they right. said, or you can just do our $650 a year plan that is basically yes. like health insurance for your pet. Yep. And it's cheaper than what you'd pay now. And it's, you know, it covers everything. And I'm like, yeah, well, okay, cool. Sign me up. Well, we just paid that for the third time. <laughs> mm -hmm. We've mm -hmm. never, you know, yeah. like our dog has not actually gone back very often. So it's like we have an outside, but you know. As your dog so. gets older, it's going to need more emergency right, care. Right, right. But it just, it's, and, it, it's interesting, yeah. like them having that option at the point of sale. Right. What, you know, was like, okay, cool. And then here they ended up getting a subscriber instead of a one-time payment. It's interesting you say that because I have a tenant who was just, she just got a new puppy and she was telling me, oh, I took, and I'm like, man, you keep taking your dog to the vet. That has to be expensive. She's like, no, I have this yearly plan. I just pay him. Yep. And I can take him. All my shots are covered. All my visits are covered. And I think she told me she was paying something like $600 a year, probably about the same. Right. And I was like, wow, I have to look into that. I mean, I love that I was able to do it with my dog who was sick. Mm-hmm. But he was dying. You know, I knew right. he wasn't going to be right. around much longer. So right. it was right. like, let's just pay this off. And it's a very low interest rate. And that's fine. Right. Um, right. But yeah, but I think that I think those it's... kind of alternatives were going to, you know, that kind of goes to that subscription right. service uh, model that we've been talking about as well. Yeah. And I think so. it's just, I think it's just, you know, giving merchants options and letting them be creative with the way that they, you know, put stuff together. I mean, maybe, a, you know, because I'm sure a lot of those plans are prepackaged, you know, coming mm -hmm. from a company that's taking 25% of the, of the revenue to facilitate it. Whereas, right. you know, maybe a vet would say, you know what, we can just use consumer financing and put our own thing together, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, that's what I see. Yeah. yeah. But so anyway, I wanted to kind of turn to a little bit, um, not so great news, um, in terms of e-commerce. And uh, this comes from a company called Riskified, which I think is a cool name. Yeah. It's a payments fraud prevention uh, solution provider. Okay. They report that account takeovers involving e-commerce account accounts are on the rise. 35% uh, of online merchants report that at least 10% of their accounts have been taken over by bad actors in the last 12 months. Wow. And uh, Yeah, okay. that's a lot. And there's a yeah. lot of concern on the part of merchants and their customers that things are only going to get worse. 66% uh, of merchants and 69% of consumers say they're concerned about accounts getting hacked. Hmm. Um, and here's why that's bad news. You know, uh, for obvious reasons, 65% of consumers say they would stop buying from a merchant if their online account was compromised. Yeah. 54% yeah. said they would delete their accounts. 39% said they'd go to a competitor. And about three in 10, 30%, would recommend their friends stop shopping at that merchant site. Yeah. And that, to me, was the, was the stat that really stuck out, hmm. you know. Um, and then there's this. 27% of merchants admit that they have no measures in place to, to prevent account takeovers. Hmm. Uh, about a quarter, 24%, don't even know how to identify an account takeover during a purchase process. Um, and 14% said they, they wouldn't even know if an account takeover occurred unless they were mo notified by the customers. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I had a really negative e-commerce experience, uh, last week that kind of feeds into this a little bit. Uh -huh. Um, 
we, uh, I did, a, you probably saw in our Facebook, in the CC Sales Pro community on Facebook, we, uh, I'd asked for some statements for uh, uh, some content we're doing. And right. I said, you know, send me a statement. I'll give you 10 bucks, I think it was, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right. I remember that. So we had a bunch of people that, you know, we needed to uh, give them $100 because it was like, you know, limit 10 statements, you know, <clears throat> and they would, they sent us like 10 statements. So I'm like, oh, okay, how do we send these people this money, you know? So I thought about doing right. a cash app or something like that. So then I'm like, you know what? We'll just send them gift cards, you know? Mm -hmm. So my operations guy, I'm like, hey, let's, uh, you know, here's, you have all these people, just send them a gift card, you know, use the company card and you can go into my Amazon account and, and they have, they sell them on Amazon. Right. Well, I didn't really think about the ramifications of that. So someone who is using a different computer than the one that I normally use, used my login to go to Amazon. Oh no. And proceeded to purchase several thousand dollars worth of gift cards that were sent to strangers. <laughs> oh, ouch. So um, Amazon, being uh, very aware of account takeovers, um, mm -hmm. actually just canceled all of the orders. Even the ones that you had initiated? Well, I didn't initiate any of them. So the... Oh, yeah, I mean the bogus orders then. All of, well, they were not They were actually legitimate. That's the problem. We actually really did want to buy the gift cards, and we really did want to send them to these people. Right, but the te the thousands that were bought otherwise. No, no, that's what I I'm can... saying. We So we had this list of all these people that sent us statements. We needed to send each of them a $100 gift card. Okay. So my operations guy logged in as me to my Amazon account where I have our company card. Right. And he used our company card to purchase these gift cards and send them out to what Amazon realized, you know, what Amazon thought was strangers. They actually were agents that had sent us statements that oh, we wanted to send money to. Oh, I gotcha. Okay. So we yeah. really did want to send these gift cards out, but right. we, you know, uh, you know, my operations guy tries it. Because it was a different computer, that's... It was a I'm different computer, okay, yeah. and, uh -huh. and that, that was enough of a red flag together with buying a bunch of gift cards and all that. And mm -hmm. so I think it just, you know, it's like it was frustrating because it, you know, didn't work, but it's... Right. same time it was like okay well i'm kind of glad that amazon noticed that someone you know mm -hmm. logged sure. into my account from a different computer and proceeded to try to buy a bunch of gift cards because i'm sure that's how a scam you know what happened it wasn't right. a scam in this case but you know that's how it happened so i think it's i think it's things like that and uh you know maybe security questions and stuff but that's that's actually really interesting i think it's a really good reason why a lot of merchants you know it, it's one of the i really believe patty that what you're bringing up here is actually one of the biggest challenges for our industry mm -hmm. because if we want to compete with Spot or not Spotify, um, Sh uh, Shopify, um, right. if we want to compete with Shopify and other large scale software companies that basically tell the merchants, "Hey, we'll deal with all this for you," mm -hmm. you know, we need to have those solutions. And so, yes. I think it's a really big opportunity for our industry, even for ISVs. Like, where are the ISVs right now that have the e-commerce platform that's available to resellers in our industry? I I, I actually can't think of one off the top of my head. I can't think of one off the top of my head either. And that's pretty pretty crazy because I mean I think yeah, we, we have a pretty good read that on would what's be happening. Yeah, a real opportunity. Yeah, for sure. And I know I know I do know some ISOs that are, you know, that have something along those lines specifically mm -hmm. for their company, which is great. But right. I think it's it's interesting the idea of like you know a larger ISV coming out with something that maybe has a subscription fee or something that's processor agnostic. That would be pretty cool. That would be pretty cool because I think that that's really you know you need something, you know, some sort of common sense approach. Right. Um, particularly from the merchant's perspective, because, you know, uh, consumers, you can't necessarily, I mean, passwords aren't going to do it. Let's face it. You know, right. of course. most customers admit to using the same passwords for multiple sites. So that's not going to do it. Two factor authentication can be a little bit cumbersome. Right. You know, right. uh, there needs to be, but you know, there needs to be some sort of, I would think some sort of 
artificial intelligence tool. Right. Right. You know, uh, that can that can identify uh, suspicious transactions. Right. And put a, put a few extra barriers in. It's like, you know, I think it's mm -hmm. like two factor authentication is great if it's used sparingly when necessary. Right. You know, if it's somebody logging in on a different computer or making an unusually large purchase, then the two factor authentication can, can come into play there before the purchase is finalized, you know. Right. Right. But if you're just doing, you know, uh, you know, buying buying, uh, you know, ten dollars worth of stuff or something uh, sanitizer online. That's you know. right. Right. Exactly. Or, yeah, something small. It's just not going to work. It's going to be too cumbersome. Yep, I agree. Hmm. Yeah, very interesting stuff, Patty. Yeah, thanks, James. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So, you know, Patty, one of the common themes that I'm seeing uh, from individual sales uh, representatives in the industry through this coronavirus is kind of them hitting the pause button and looking at their agreement. Oh, yeah. And they're like, am I with the right processing company? Am I getting the right? Am I getting the best split? deal? Yeah. And right. so I want to talk about that today. Of course, I want to be careful because I try not to share, you know, specific compensation information on the podcast. I don't really want to get into mm -hmm. that or anything. But I do want to just talk to you about a couple of things to keep in mind, um, you know, to look at. One of the things I want to say right off the bat is, you know, Patty and I wrote a what is, I think it's a uh, 50 or 60 page ebook, maybe more than that, actually. Right. But, um, yeah, I think it was more than that. But yeah. Still. And and it's it's on buyouts. You, if you go to ccsalespro.com slash buyout, um, you'll see the ebook there, but it's, you know, it's so much more. And it's funny, Patty, in retrospect, I'm like, I almost feel like we need to rebrand it and just send this almost the same ebook out again and mm -hmm. call it like understanding your agent agreement. But um, right. there's so much in there about, you know, ownership of residual and value of accounts and things. So I would really encourage you to check that out if you haven't already. But, very educational. I mean, I have to admit, I learned a lot working with you on that um, in terms of how that, you know, in terms of how those agreements can be structured. Yeah, it's really just an interesting topic. Um, and I, I had a really interesting conversation on a through a LinkedIn message with a rep last night. He was messaging me and, you know, and then, then today I had another call and it was like, you know, a couple of key concepts that you really need to understand. So in in our industry, just like any other industry, you have income and you have expenses. You know, right. revenue and expenses. So when you look at a merchant account, let's say let's say we're looking at a cash discount merchant account, and let's say that they're doing ten thousand dollars a month, and okay. let's say that you're charging them three point nine nine percent. So okay. we're not talking in this case about the actual cash discount consumer part of it. We're just looking at the credit card processing side. Right. So you're charging them, let's say three point nine nine percent. So that means your revenue on that account is three hundred and ninety nine dollars. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, then, of right. course, you know, Patty, we, of course, have our expenses. Right. So we have, let's say, interchange average right. of one point seven percent card brand fees, you know, network access, brand usage, assessments, you know, cross border fees, whatever it is. Card brand fees generally around point two percent, like 20 basis points. Right. So now so we're like one point nine. Two hundred. Right. So now we're at one point nine percent, let's say. Then you're right. going to have your Schedule A cost. 
So, right. you know, maybe it's, you know, three, four, five cents a transaction. Maybe it's three, four basis points. So we put that in. Maybe it's another 10 basis points total cost on this deal. So now that's at 2%. So we have a $10,000 a month merchant. We're collecting $399 in revenue and we have $200 in cost. Right. So that leaves us $200 in profit, right? right? Roughly. So we've got $200 in, in, in profit on this account. So this, this is where it starts to get confusing when you're thinking about your residual split. So that $200 in profit, that is what we would call, what at least what I've always called, the gross margin on the account. Correct. Right? So that's mm -hmm. the total profitability of that account. That's the total for, for profit increase. Right. right. What you have to understand and what a lot of agents I'm talking to don't quite understand is that your ISO that you sell for probably isn't an acquiring bank. Correct. Some are, but most are not. Most aren't. And right. so they are working with one of the big shops like Tesis or First Data or um, Global or, you know, Fiserv now, whatever. They're working with one of the big acquiring banks to actually move the money around, to do the underwriting and the, you know, and the, handle the risk and maybe even sending right. out the statements and, and many things. Well, that company wants to make money too. They have to make something out of that $200. Right. So if if your ISO is humongous, very, very large ISO, they might actually be getting a 100% split over whatever that Schedule A cost was. Maybe, again, maybe it was three cents and three basis points, right? So that three cents and three basis points, that Schedule A cost, that might be all that the acquiring bank is getting. And they're giving your ISO 100% split. And that means your ISO is getting, you know, the full gross margin on the account after those Schedule A costs are out. So on that account that is producing $200 in margin, if you're with a large ISO, they might actually be getting $200. And right. then you're getting, let's say, a 50% split on an account. Just I'm using numbers to make it easy. Let's say it's half, sure. right? right? So you're getting 50%. You got $100 residual, right? Well, here's what you need to be aware of, though. If your ISO is maybe not gargantuan, they might be getting a 90% split from TSIS or First Aid or Fiserv or whoever they're working with. Sure. Or they sure. might be getting 80% or 70%. Right. You know, it depends on how large they are, what they've been able to negotiate. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure you understand, are you getting, you know, so again, we're using the example of 50% here. Are you getting 50% of the gross margin or are you getting 50% of their 80%? Right. Or of their right. 90 or of their 70. Huge like, difference. Yeah. Huge difference. Huge difference. Um, and so you really want to be aware of that. And so the way you tell that is when you look at the agreements and you see, you know, in there, it'll say that you're getting X amount of what they're getting. You really need to make sure and talk to them and say, what are you getting? Mm -hmm. Are you getting 100% yeah. over this cost? You know what I mean? So I think that's just a right. really important topic that I think a lot of agents don't fully understand. And it's something for you to take a look at. So just a quick tip as you're going through your agreements, you know, look at that. And then one last just kind of word of caution that I want to give that I think will be very helpful is, you know, I was talking to an agent today and I, and I pointed out something in the, in the agreement. He sent me his agreement as part of a consulting contract and I was reviewing it. And I said, you know, this particular part of the contract really concerns me because it says that they can terminate the agreement basically for any reason. Mm -hmm. And if they do, you don't get paid residual anymore. Right. And I was right. like, and those, those are not that uncommon. My no, understanding not at all. Is, right. No. Yeah. And he's like, and I said, this is a concern. He's like, well, I'm not really that concerned because I really trust this guy. You know, yeah, he, well, I, he says, guy, right? he said, I talked to this guy, the CEO of the company, and he told me 
that the only reason he would do that is if I did something illegal that was hurting their reputation. That's the only reason he would terminate the agreement. I said, okay. I said, so let me ask you a question. If you build up 100000 a month, 20000 a month, 5000 a month, this is a pretty big shop, so it's going to be a lot. But I'm like, you know, if you build up 10000 a month, let's say in residual, and this individual gets hit by a bus, God forbid, mm-hmm. number one, do you know who's taking over his business? And number two, do you already trust that person as much as him? Yeah. Right. And he's like, oh, I didn't think of that. I said, yeah. Mm -hmm. I said, what if this guy in five years, in seven years, in 10 years, what if he sells to another company? Mm -hmm. Do you know who that's going to be? Are you going to be involved in that decision? What if they get it and say, hey, look, we're paying this guy 30,000 a month and all we have to do is cancel the agreement, which we're able to do contractually right here. Uh huh. Uh-huh. You think they're going to do that? They don't know you. And, you don't know and, them. And how many times have we? How many agent stories have we heard yep. about that happening? Exactly. So what I told him, and what I would tell our listeners, when you look at your agreement, number one, understand how you're getting paid. Number two, you, when you talk to your ISO about it, say, look. I need to go through the agreement. I want to make it really clear at the outset. This is nothing. I actually trust you and I'm fine with you. I need to go through this agreement with the assumption that God forbid something were to happen to you or that Mm -hmm. this company was to sell to another company. So let's understand that's what we're talking about. It doesn't, you, I know you're honest. I know you're, I'm not trying to make a personal attack against you. I just need to understand my agreement within the context of you may not always be the person enforcing the agreement. It might be somebody else. It's what I always call the beer truck provision of any contract. Yeah, that's good. That I like that. Should I get hit by a beer truck on the way home? <laughs> I like that. Yeah, my business partner calls it the bus factor. He always says, right. we're talking about Same something. Thing. He's always like, where are we at with the bus factor on this? And I'm like, well, let's talk about that, you know. Right. <laughs> so right. anyway, but yeah. awesome. Good stuff, James. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com, and we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.